Eric Shesky's Weekly You Demon. This Catholic dude abides. Culture, society, drinking, philosophy, religion. Sometimes drunk, often smiling. He's never out of his element. So sit back with a sarsaparilla and enjoy. All right, the Weekly Demon comes back. Of course, I'm not sure it's going to be the Weekly Demon anymore. I'm still trying to figure that out. Definitely not going to be weekly. It might be more or less weekly. It might be more often than weekly. Less often, I'm not sure. Not even sure about the the demon part. You know, a spirit of light. Maybe I'm going to drone on about negative stuff like the insurrection at the Capitol building and <laughs> COVID and the elections. Heck, I'm not even sure about the the. <laughs> All right, so what happened? Uh, why has this podcast been offline for not quite eight months uh, as of this recording? Well, quite frankly, the numbers dropped drastically. You know, this just is, is not a podcast about current events. I talked about COVID and stuff, but with the elections coming up, you know, I'm, I'm like George Gissing. <laughs> George Gissing, the, that great English writer from the 19th century, said, you know, politics is the province of the, of the quarter-educated. <laughs> Russell Kirk liked the like the quote quote guessing in that regard, and I agree. Uh, politics is awful. You have to engage them, and my hats off to those Catholics and those conservatives who fight the battle. Uh, that's great. I don't like getting in the muck, and I do tend to think it is for the uh, quarter educated. But hey, everyone has to have their hobbies and their pursuits, and my hats off to those who are out there throwing the mud around for the rest of us. Yeah, so anyway, uh, it just, the numbers dropped in the listenership. Uh, I don't want to say I got discouraged. I kind of just laughed and said, you know, 2020 just ain't going to be my year. And I thought, come 2021, I'll relaunch it in some format. And that's what you're going to have to understand. This ain't going to be as polished as the old Weekly Demon. You're <laughs> thinking, hell, Shusky, that was polished? <laughs> well, it actually was in a lot of ways. I spent a lot of time trying to edit the podcast and make it better, and I'm just not going to do it. And partly I'm inspired by uh, Father Richard Simon. <laughs> I don't know if you ever listened to this guy. He's on Relevant Radio. And the first couple of times I listened to a show, Father, uh, Father Simon says, I was just like, gosh, this guy barely looks like he's preparing when he comes in. He's, you can hear him click on his keyboard looking stuff up to to talk about <laughs> the podcast. But it's highly enjoyable. The guy like has like uh no self consciousness. He <laughs> he just kind of proceeds. Very entertaining. Now I think he's one of those guys like, like Dostoevsky in his his famous column, A Writer's Diary. Dostoevsky mastered the art of making it look like he was just vomiting on the page. <laughs> His Russian readers thought he was He's just publishing his diaries. And he told a friend of his, he goes, it takes a heck of a lot of work to make it look spontaneous. So <laughs> maybe that's what Father Simon's doing. But I'm not. Um, you're going to get the oops and the ahs and maybe the breathy talk, the poor enunciation at times. You're going to get it all, and I hope that's okay. <laughs> Hopefully not too many F-bombs. <laughs> don't want to be... 
like the drummer from the Kingsmen, the 1963 Louie Louie, he, he dropped his drumstick in the middle of the recording and, and yelled the F word. <laughs> and it's pretty funny. There are lots of other gas in that, in that song, but studio time was expensive and the producer's like, that's a take. And the, <laughs> I guess the band was aghast. It's like, what? We, we made all sorts of horrible mistakes in that. And he goes, Hey, we're done. <laughs> and they, they, uh, cut the album or cut the song, released it. And someone ran it as a DJ. They, they played it as a joke. Like, you know, how freaking bad is this? Listen to all these mistakes. And people loved it. And it shot up at number two. <laughs> There's subsequently an investigation about, by the FBI of, of all people. The FBI investigated the filthy lyrics in Louie Louie. And they finally determined we can't understand a word he's saying. <laughs> and throughout the entire investigation, no one heard the F-U-C-K that the drummer yelled in the background. <laughs> they never picked up on it. <laughs> and it's really clear once you hear it. Yeah, you can't miss it. So anyway, yeah, this podcast is going to be rougher. Hopefully no F-bombs. I don't plan on dropping a drumstick. I keep in mind, I come from a pretty active household. I have seven kids, four still live at home, although two of those are in college. People come and go. I actually record in a closet. Kind of like where I live my life. <laughs> but I record in a closet my wife set up for me. It's actually pretty cool. Got a place for my, uh, for my computer where I can look at my notes. It's, it's, uh, insulated with, with carpeting. It's cool. The problem is, it's by the main door where people come and go. So you might hear like a little thumping noise once in a while. Hopefully not, but if you do, you know, just deal with it. So the format of the new I said the the, for, the format of the new podcast is going to be just one subject. And I'm normally going to be riffing off an essay I would have published at The Daily Demon. If you didn't know it, The Daily Demon is back up and running. I mean, it was never down. It is like the world's oldest Catholic blog or doggone close. It's been around since 2004. But it's just been kind of, uh, for the past couple of years, I post here and there. I post maybe four or five times a week. Always something, but nothing necessarily of high quality. But last fall, I completely revamped it. I bought a new theme. And it's actually really sharp looking. And I'm doing a lot more like feature essays that are it's getting, getting some good press. Uh, people are coming to the site. I'm pretty happy with the way the, the site's coming together. But I am going to be reading an essay from that blog. So if you'd rather read the essay, go right ahead. Now, I don't think it's going to be me just reading these essays. I think on the podcast, you're going to get a lot of side comments. You're also going to get probably more honesty. It's just hard in writing to to convey your thoughts precisely and 100% honestly. You only have so many words, and if you're too thorough... You know, you're just a rambly idiot. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like this blog, uh, this podcast, I suppose. <laughs> so, that's what I'm doing. Also, on the Daily Demon, the essays are more sanitized. The Daily Demon's new approach was all inspired, so to speak, uh, by Medium.com. I started a site there, Medium.com. And I went through just like a boot camp of training on how to publish internet essays. And I learned a lot. I'm thankful for Medium. You gotta pay five bucks a month to be a member, and I think it's well worth it. If you're, if you're trying to write, 
I actually make more money at Medium now than I pay at, and it's not much, but it covers my beer money every month. But they taught me how to write, and it gives you access. For five bucks a month, you get all their articles. You can read everything. And it is a freaking hotbed of far-left politics. Oh, my gosh. Now, I don't know if that's because Ev Williams, uh, the Twitter co-founder who left to start Medium, I don't know if that's because he's a leftist. I don't know anything about the guy, quite frankly, except he's from the Midwest, I think Nebraska or something like that. Um, or whether it's the algorithm. You could tell from the Medium, uh, from the Medium site in general, it's a younger person's Medium or, <laughs> or platform. I gotta believe the average age is about 28. And so maybe the algorithms is picking up on what other mediums readers want to read, and that's what they promote. But anyway, I get a lot of lefties um, coming to my site at Medium, and I go to their site. We actually get along fairly well, even though they're they're old, they're young enough to be my kids, and we're not in the same political spectrum. And I'm not sure they know what a Catholic looks like, much less <laughs> much less consider them an online friend. But at Medium, I definitely tone down the politics, even though I don't do much politics. But when I do take shots at the left or liberals, uh, I, I rein it in big time at Medium. I let out that genie out of the bottle a little bit on the blog. But I still keep it reined in because my Medium site links to the Daily Demon and I don't want to alienate people when they come over. So anyway, on the podcast, you probably can get a little bit more honesty in that regard. So on this podcast, we're going to look at one of my more popular articles called Five Dispositions That Can Make Your Life More Productive and Happy. And for the record, there's really eight dispositions. <laughs> but the article is just getting too cotton-picking long, so I picked the top five. The subtitle of the article is The Philosophy of Focusing on a Slow and Loving Existence in the Quiet Now. Now in the subtitle, you have all five of the dispositions I want to discuss. So here's the problem. You can make resolutions and you can set goals. But the problem is they don't tend to last. The resolutions are forgotten and the goalposts move. And more troubling, they change for no apparent reason. Everything might be the same in your life, but in July, that New Year's resolution doesn't seem important. And that goal you set at age 25, well, it might need a lot of tweaking by the time you're 30. So the whole point of the article is, is you may want to look at something more sturdier than goals and resolutions. You may want to actually adjust your personality, you know, what it means to be you. And that's what I'm talking about by way of dispositions. Okay, now think of dispositions, that could be defined different ways, but I'm using them here to mean inherent qualities of your mind or character. And they are to your personality what height, weight, skin tone, and hair are to your body. Features that more or less can change, but don't, unless a lot of, the, <clears throat> unless a lot of time passes or significant events or efforts take place. So I, I point out the article that they are to your mental world what habits are to your physical. Maybe call them habits of mind. And we all have these dispositions. Maybe you're born with them. Maybe they develop for your environment. Maybe they're a hybrid. I don't know. But we all have them. And they're just there. And so what I do in the article, I say, you know, why don't you break down the areas of your life and ask, what disposition would be proper to this area? 
And then I go through five major areas of existence in the disposition property each. And I start off saying the first disposition is love. Love is rule one. It's the thing that ought to inform your entire life. I think almost everyone agrees with the wealthy Stoic philosopher Seneca who wrote, quote, There is no enjoying the possession of anything valuable unless one has some... Excuse me, unless someone... Yeah. There is no enjoying the possession of anything valuable unless one has someone to share it with, unquote. <laughs> We're reading that quote and botching like that. Reminds me of Bill Burr, if you ever listen to his podcast. <laughs> he just can't read script or anything for the life of him. The guy's brilliant when it comes to extemporizing, but when it comes to reading, <laughs> he's worse than I am just now in that example. Anyway, I point out in the article that five minutes of internet surfing would give you a hundred other aphorisms about the supreme importance of love, and most of us would agree with those aphorisms. But what exactly is love? And I think it's this. It's attention to other. And that's it. Now that's it, but it's crucial. By attracting yourself to other, you're pulling yourself out of yourself, as it were. It's why love is so irrational and magical, yet so manifestly powerful that even logic and philosophy can't deny its importance. <laughs> they can't explain it, but they can't deny its importance. So love is what happens when you put yourself second, behind the object loved. Love, then, walks hand in hand with humility. Humility is nothing more than self-forgetfulness. It's not self-deprecation or declaration of your worthlessness. I mean, those things, let's face it, those things are kind of self-centered. You know, I suck, I'm horrible, no one loves me. Well, that's just the flip side of narcissism, really. <laughs> or, or it's negative narcissism, you might say. But humility, it's, it's a disposition that isn't focused on yourself at all. Once you're not focused on yourself, the problems that arise from self-centeredness, the grasping greed, the inflamed lust, the ego-centered ambition, decrease. And once they decrease, you're better positioned to love. And then to discuss these other four dispositions we're going to discuss in a minute. And I quote at the end of this section, uh, the famous desert monk Evagrios, A-E-V-A-G-R-I-U-S, who says, in front of love, passionlessness marches. And that's kind of uh, paradoxical. I think, well, love, that, that's passionate, you know, and I'm inflamed for love for this woman or whatever it is. And here he says, no. Properly thinking, love, not lust, but love, gives us passionlessness, you know, kind of what the Stoics talked about. The second disposition is in the area of time. I call it the temporal disposition. And the disposition you ought to have is the now. The present moment is the only thing you can control. The past is gone. The future might not even be the future. It may never arrive. And if it does arrive, it won't be in the form you anticipate. And let that sink in. Frick, I wake up every day with all sorts of worries of what the day is going to bring. The day never, ever, ever resembles what I anticipate. Well, I guess sometimes, <laughs> broad parameters it does. Like, if I have to go to the office and have, like, five meetings set up, I know it's going to be a long freaking day, and they often are. But typically speaking, you know, the actual content of those meetings and how long each of them takes, totally unpredictable. It's totally ludicrous to worry about it. So, to live in the present moment is the most commonsensical thing in the world. 
Dang, it also seems to be the hardest thing in the world. Especially in the modern world where everyone seems to be afraid. I don't know if you've noticed that, but everyone's afraid. They're running from, rushing to, or bracing for something. Something to come. And my advice is just stop it. And, by the way, I'm a full-on hypocrite <laughs> with this advice. I, Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was talking to my daughter about the importance of living in the now. She brought it up, and I said, I got books on that, and I was telling her about it and showing it to her. And she goes, Dad, I'm not sure you're really good at living in the now. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I, I absolutely suck at it. But <laughs> I do appreciate it. It's like, yeah, I, I suck at dunking a basketball, too, but I think it's pretty cool if people can. So anyway, just just try. Be in the present moment. Softly writing off your regrets, calmly refusing to entertain worries about the future, just addressing the task at hand. If you need to plan responsibly for the future, that's fine. Just try to think about the future only to the extent it depends on the present moment. And there's a great book, by the way, called The Orthodox Way by a man named Callistos Ware. It's about Eastern Orthodox spirituality. He has a whole section on the now. It's really good. And I think I pulled from it quite a bit in writing this essay. Anyway, so if you want a simple disposition hack, you know, everyone wants life hacks, a simple disposition hack to live in the now, try this. Cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. The mere mental act of being thankful contents your mind with something else. So it makes your mind content with something else. It takes your mind off of you. And by the way, the mere fact that your mind can do that, kind of reflect on you or reflect on self is a spiritual trait that implies that when we die, our soul survives, but that's, that's another matter. But it takes your mind off of you, takes it off your past regrets and future schemes. The mere act of being thankful, being grateful, is remarkably effective for living in the now. Also, cultivate the ability to focus. It's key to living in the present moment. And that brings us to the third disposition. I call it the disposition during your active life. Like when you're at the office, or when you're at work, or when you're engaged in some sort of constructive leisure. And the disposition during the active life is concentration. Now, most people associate active life with work, life in the job. But here I mean the active part of life in general. Pretty much anything that isn't sleeping, meditation, or abject sloth, like watching TV. So yeah, it's work, but also play. That can be gardening, golfing, socializing, exercising, reading, etc., etc. And what I'm saying is, whatever you do, focus on it and only it. Okay, I realize it's pretty routine advice that's hard for many people to follow. But here are three trips. <laughs> but here are three tips that might help. Excuse me there. One, tie your focus to humility. Ask yourself, why do you get distracted? Maybe it's because your ego tells you something else might please you more than a task or person in front of you now. Just tell yourself, I don't deserve anything better than what I have in front of me right now. I deserve this current task and nothing more, nothing less. This is what I deserve. So don't tell yourself, I could be doing something better. That's a lack of humility or self-forgetfulness. Also, understand the flow. F-L-O-W. 
So here's the thing about the flow. There are two types of mental effort. Concentration on the task and deliberate control of your attention. And that's Daniel Kahneman, the author of that awesome book, Thinking Fast and Slow. I think you won a Nobel Prize. I'm not sure. Anyway, Thinking Fast and Slow. Check it out. I think last I knew you get it for $2.99 on your Kindle off Amazon. Anyway, but when you're in the flow, the deliberate control of attention occurs without trying, with the result that your mental energy isn't divided. All of your mental efforts can be spent on a task in front of you. I think merely by understanding what the flow is and appreciate what's going on when you're trying to concentrate will make you better at it. Third, try to imbue everything, even office life, with the spirit of joy. Excuse me, with the spirit of play. Play, as one of my favorite authors, Robin Daniels, points out. He only wrote like two books, but <laughs> not when I write one of them, uh, The Virgin Eye. Robin Daniels points out that play occupies that, quote, transitional space, unquote, between subject and object. You're focused on the object that you enjoy. The object takes you out of yourself, but you are still having fun. If you cultivate the spirit of play, everything, especially work, uh, the focus will follow naturally. And actually, this is one of my favorite quotes of all time I, I give at the end of this section. It says, In the intellectual order, the virtue of humility is nothing more nor less than the power of attention. And that's by Simone Weil, W-E-I-L. I've had that quote taped for years in my office, you know, my law office downtown. And I try to remind myself of that constantly. I would have mentioned the podcast earlier, but... I'm never sure how to pronounce her last name. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Vey, again, W-E-I-L. A brilliant Jewish woman who loved the Catholic Church but never entered. And then she died young. Okay, next, the third disposition is disposition of movement. And I say here, your disposition ought to be slowness. So why exactly do we rush? There could be specific reasons, of course, like if a kid is drowning, I hope your pace quickens a bit. But in general, why do we rush? And I think the answer is pretty clear. It's because we're self-centered. We rush because we are trying, even if only semi-consciously, to satisfy something we want. It's we, 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 or me, 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 I, I, I. So if we slow down, we may not reach our aim. The rushing in turn feeds our self-centeredness enabling it, as it were. Our ego inflates even more, feeding a growing frenzy of ambitions, schemes, and plans that we must rush to meet, creating in us a disposition of hurriedness. We need to flip that disposition. We need to slow down drastically and develop the disposition of slowness. The mere act of physically walking slowly will let air out of the ego. As your ego deflates, you become calmer. As you become calmer, you start to think more clearly. If you doubt this, try, try a simple experiment. After a hectic day, drink wine, relax, and observe. The depressant in a moderate amount of alcohol takes you out of yourself by slowing you down, mentally and physically. It calms you, letting you think and see more clearly. And when it does, you normally start seeing the goodness of existence. And moving with deliberate slowness is, in my experience, a dry version of drinking wine. Robin Daniels, by the way, points out that, quote, rushing is a form of aggression, unquote. 
I maybe let that sink in. The next disposition. The disposition towards noise. And I say your disposition in this area of your life ought to be silence. Okay, now this one's tricky. You can't control noise, right? That's why your neighbor's leaf blower sucks. Hate the leaf blower. <laughs> Hate it. <laughs> Don't like snow blowers either, but because I'm inside when the snow blower is going, I can't really hear it, so it doesn't bother me so much. But that leaf blower, yikes, something about that really grates on me. Anyway, you can, you can simply divert your eyes from an unpleasant sight, but you can't simply divert your ears from an unpleasant noise. And in the modern world, and this is something we don't understand or even appreciate, noise is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Over 50 years ago, Max Picard, a philosopher who detested noise, said the modern world is historically unique because noise is everywhere. And for him, the bogeyman here was the radio. Quote, radio has occupied the whole space of silence. There is no silence any longer. Even when the radio is turned off, the radio noise is so amorphous that it seems to have no beginning and no end. It is limitless. <laughs> for Picard, I mean, noise, radio noise took on like a, a, a demon or diabolical <laughs> metaphysic. <laughs> that guy hated noise. Good friends with Russell Kirk, by the way. But anyway, I'd suggest, you know, that was 50 years ago. It's only gotten worse since then. Fortunately, there are two types of noise, inner and outer. And you have a lot of control over the inner. You can turn down the volume of the passions that inflame your mind. You can slow down the parade of thoughts. You can dull the drum beats of ambition that keep you in a state of steady agitation. But you'll have to practice. The noise in our modern world makes it more difficult to practice, but it can be done. Closing your door, using noise-canceling headphones, which, by the way, I've really started to dig. I got myself a nice set around Christmas time. And also by meditating. And once the volume of inner noise is turned down, and you've cultivated the, disp the disposition of sounds, you will find yourself closer to a state of stillness. Which, as Ryan Holiday points out in his recent bestseller, stillness is the key, is crucial to a good existence. You know, I think I'm going to wrap it up. There's, the essay actually has another section on it that I think is very useful, but I'm going to... Well, I'm going to go, ah, heck with that. I'll stay with it. <laughs> Doing the Richard Simon here, jumping back and forth. This last section is called Your Beautiful Body. So, are you bummed out that you're lacking a few of these dispositions? I wouldn't worry about it. I don't think any person naturally develops with them, including me. I mean, I've always rushed. Goodness gracious. I mean, <laughs> I hurry, hurry, hurry all the time. I could think of at least three occasions where I should have been hit by a car from trying to get in front of it, you know, by foot. Um, <laughs> and I've done it even after telling myself well over 10 years ago I need to slow down. And here I am in my 50s, and I'm still rushing, and I don't think I'm as fast as I was in my 30s, but I, I still move fast. But I was able to slow down my life by doing a simple thing. I slowed my gait. When I walk, I just slow down, unless I'm doing for exercise, but I slow my gait. And when I did that, all of me slowed down. My breathing, the thoughts in my head, everything. A slow gait, I discovered, helps develop a disposition of slowness in general. On occasion, when I, when I forget that lesson in the heat of my workday, my gait would quicken, and so did everything else about me. Breathing, speaking, thinking, everything rushed. When I started walking fast around the office... I find everything rushes. 
And it's because we're existential amphibians, part spirit, part flesh. What your soul does affects your body, as millions of people are learning from the health benefits of meditation. From treating cancer to helping with insomnia, people are beginning to see that one's mental life as developed through meditation has profound effects in their bodies. Conversely, what your body does affects your soul. Ask yoga masters who insist on specific postures. Ask monks who lie prostrate on the ground. Ask Fen Shui practitioners who believe architecture affects inhabitants' energies. If you lack any of the dispositions, merely start practicing them in their physical, most obvious and simplest forms. Even if you feel like a hypocrite, just act like you have those dispositions. So in the area of love, do something nice for a family member. For humility, deny yourself a pleasure simply for the sake of depriving yourself of something. You want to live in the now? Stop and gaze at a pretty flower. You want to cultivate slowness? Go in your backyard and just meander. Hands behind your back, walking slowly. You want to cultivate quietness? Just sit still. Maybe with noise-canceling headphones. In all these examples, you might start out just pretending to have those dispositions. Pretending not to be frantic, pretending to be internally silent. But if pursued with sincere intent, you'll find you actually start to have them. This last section, just so you know, I don't mention this in the article, but it comes from C.S. Lewis's chapter, Let's Pretend in Mere Christianity, where you find this quote, Very often, the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you already had it. That's it for this episode. As always, thanks for listening.